People have been claiming contact with aliens for decades now, and usually what they report is frightening or weird. They were experimented on, they had strange devices implanted in their bodies, they were impregnated, or they were pregnant when they were taken and the babies were removed. The aliens looked weird and smelled weird, they were really interested in what's up human anuses, and they liked to disfigure and kill cows. But some alien encounters are not bad at all. There have been people who report that the aliens look a lot like us. They're super peaceful and advanced, and they really just want to help us humans reach our full potential. Oh, and a lot of those aliens really like sex. People who report this sort of close encounter of the groovy kind find their lives changed by the experience. And often, they start cults and or lucrative businesses and industries with themselves as leaders, of course. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Magic Carpet Ride, UFOs and the New Age. George Adamski. George Adamski found himself in Southern California in the 1920s, having grown up in New York City, and like a lot of New Yorkers who go out west, found himself sort of attracted to the occult, at least the weird California version of it. He was into a branch of theosophy, which had been the brainchild of Helena Blavatsky and still had many adherents, and had become something of a name in the Southern California alternative spirituality scene, talking about his own mix of Eastern and Christian ideas with notions from science that he called universal progressive Christianity, and sometimes he just called it universal law. He founded the Royal Order of Tibet in Laguna Beach, and managed to somehow get a government license during prohibition to make wine, quote, for religious purposes. Needless to say, he sold a lot of this religious purpose wine on the black market and made a boatload of money in the process. When prohibition ended in 1933, he needed a new grift and reportedly told two friends that he wanted to, quote, get into the saucer crap, meaning UFOs. Though I believe it's not until the 1940s that that term is used, so I think perhaps that might be spurious. He bought a large plot of land near Palomar Observatory and worked hard to give visitors and esoteric students the impression that he was somehow connected with the observatory. He claimed he had a number of academic degrees, and people started calling him Professor. However, in truth, he never made it past the third grade. In 1946, he and some friends were watching a meteor shower when they saw what they said was a huge cigar-shaped mothership. 
This is a term that he helped popularize in regards to UFOs, mothership. Early the next year, 1947, which was a very busy year for UFOs, he took a photograph of this mothership crossing the face of the moon. And he also said in the summer he'd seen 184 UFOs passing overhead one night, which is a very specific number. In 1950, he took another photograph, this time of six UFOs flying in formation. In 1978, this picture would be used to make a postage stamp in the country of Granada commemorating the Year of UFOs, the year before the Prime Minister of Granada had asked the UN to form an agency to investigate the UFO phenomenon, since Project Blue Book had been closed for a number of years. Anyway, back in November 1952, Adamski was with some friends in the Colorado desert when they looked up and saw an object hanging in the sky that looked kind of like a submarine. Adamski told his friends that it was there for him and went off to meet it. He later said a scout ship had come down from the main vehicle and a medium-height human-looking being with long blonde hair and tan skin had stepped out. This being was wearing red shoes and trousers, not like mine, said Adamski, making it clear that the fashion sense of this alien is different. This being was a Venusian pilot named Orthone who communicated with Adamski telepathically and also using gestures with his hands. This is the first reported contact of what would later be called the Nordic aliens, so-called because of their appearance. They look like they're Scandinavian. Orthone and Adamski chatted for a while about how dangerous nuclear war could be, and Adamski said that Orthon radiated a sense of peace and loving understanding. Adamski said he'd like to take a picture as proof, but Orthon said, no, give me a blank photographic plate, and then I'll return with something for you. Orthon then got back in his ship and left. Adamski and a friend said that they took plaster imprints of Orthon's footprints left behind in the desert dirt, and the footprints contained strange symbols, which Adamski said was a message that Orthon had on the bottom of his shoes. I told you their fashion sense was different. In mid-December, Orthon came back, returning the photographic plate to Adamski. When Adamski developed it, he saw even more strange symbols like the ones in the footprint. Adamski had managed at this meeting also to take a picture of Orthon's vehicle using a camera and his telescope. This picture looks a lot like a chicken brooder, which is used to warm baby chicks after they're hatched. Later examination concluded it was a fake using surgical lamps and standard GE light bulbs. A fellow named Desmond Leslie heard about Adamski's incredible experiences and started corresponding with him. Leslie was an offbeat but pretty interesting person, writing, making films, but mainly he was a musician. He invented the multi-track mixing desk, which changed music recording forever. Oh, and he was really into UFOs. Adamski shared details of his contacts with Orthone and his pictures, and Leslie combined all of these with a book that he'd been working on about aliens coming to Earth, and the result was one of the very first books on UFOs, called Flying Saucers Have Landed, published in 1953. It was a hit and eventually became one of the foundational texts for the subsequent New Age movement. The book mainly talked about Nordic aliens from Venus who worship a, quote, creator of all and who are worried about humans having atomic bombs. Writing high on the success of that book, Adamski wrote another book in 1955 called Inside the Spaceships, in which he describes a wonderful voyage he took to see all the other planets in the solar system, all of which are inhabited, by the way, with Orthon as his tour guide, and of course, Orthon took him to his own home world of Venus. 
It turns out Venus is where worthy souls who die get reincarnated, such as Adamski's wife who had died the previous year. Well, her soul was reincarnated in a Venusian body. On Venus, Adamski also met the Master, a 1,000-year-old elder philosopher of the space people who told him all about where Earth fits in this cosmic scheme of things and other great truths. Earth was important, the Master said, and there are many aliens living here in secret to try and prevent atomic catastrophe and help prepare Earthlings for their great role in the cosmic saga. The Master told him that he... Adamski would be added to the long line of people selected to bring a message of peace and harmony to humans. This line included people like Jesus. So, Adamski was like Jesus. Elizabeth Clara. In 1917, Elizabeth Willott, age 7, and her older sister Barbara were out feeding a bunch of their puppies on their farm near Rosetta in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal Midlands, when they saw a large silvery disc flying in the sky along with a bright orange-red round thing that looked like a small moon. The disc moved quickly towards the orange ball and seemed to guide it upwards out of the atmosphere. The orange ball trailed a sort of smoke as it moved through the sky. A few months later, she saw another strange object in the sky while talking with Ladam, a Zulu farmer manager who worked on the farm for her father. He also saw the object, and he decided it was something from Zulu mythology, a vampiric bird that summons thunder called the lightning bird. Later, she claimed that she remembered that she had seen something very much like this way back when she was three or maybe four years old, even before the disc and ball sighting. Well, she continued with her life. She went to school. She moved to Florence, Italy. She went to Cambridge, England to study. She married a guy named William Stanford Phillips, and she learned how to fly a small propeller airplane. She returned home, and when she was 22 in 1932, she and her sisters formed a polo team playing a match against another women's team in what was the first ever ladies polo match in the country of South Africa. During World War II, she was fairly high up in RAF intelligence, flying a number of secret missions. And after the war, she married Paul Clarer, whose name she took and would keep for the rest of her life. And that is the name that she would become famous under, Elizabeth Clarer. So far, a pretty interesting life, UFOs aside. And not much weirdness apart from those childhood sightings. And one other that she says occurred in 1937 while she and her husband were flying a small plane to the city of Durban in which they both saw a silver saucer in the sky which followed them for quite a while and then sped off suddenly. Oh, also, she'd always believed that telepathy was real and she had been spending a lot of time to try and improve her natural telepathic powers. So, maybe she was a little bit weird. Flying Flying Saucer saucer Hill. Hill. Then in 1954, when Elizabeth was 44 years old and living in Johannesburg, her sister May told her that the local Zulu people near where she lived in the KwaZulu-Natal Midlands, where they'd grown up on that farm, were claiming that the lightning bird was back. So Elizabeth packed up her children and off they went. On December 27th, she went up the aptly named Flying Saucer Hill, though I suspect that name is subsequent to these events, where she saw a disc-like spaceship 60 feet across descend and hover 10 feet above the ground, gently humming. The outside hull slowly rotated, but the central part stayed still. A man could be seen looking at her through one of the three windows on the craft, and the ship let off immense heat, so much that she couldn't get very close. 
It then rose into the sky rapidly and disappeared. A year and a half later, she returned to the area after more reports of the lightning bird came her way. On April 7, 1956, she went back up Flying Saucer Hill, and the same thing happened, but this time the man inside the craft came out to greet her. His name was Akron, and he took her inside his spaceship. In there, she met the pilot, who was shorter and darker skinned than Akron, and she was told that the pilot was also a very good botanist and an astrophysicist. The craft, they told her, was just a scout ship, and then they ascended to the mother ship, which was in orbit, a much larger cigar-shaped craft. She said the interior of this mothership looked like a huge garden filled with all kinds of plants, many of them exotic. While up there, seeing what there was to see, Akron and Elizabeth, hey, he's a man, kinda, she's a woman, they kissed. They kissed a lot. He then told her that he'd been searching for her for ages because she was actually the reincarnation of his long-lost love, a woman he knew on Venus. So while Adamski thought earthling souls were reincarnated on Venus, apparently this story is, is that Venusians are reincarnated on Earth. He also told her that there are plenty of Venusians secretly living on Earth and that every once in a while would mate with an earthling to get new blood into their race. He returned her to Earth but visited again several times over the next weeks. On April 30th, people in the area said they saw a red glow from the top of the hill that lasted for eight hours and no evidence of a fire could be found the next day. What could it have been? The family sold the farm in July, and Elizabeth took several photos of Akron's ship with her sister's brownie camera. This is one of those simple cameras, and the pictures aren't really super high quality. A lot of people thought that her picture of Akron's spaceship looked suspiciously like a car hubcap. Space, Space Mother! A couple of years later, in 1958, she had several more contacts with Akron, often meeting on the flat top of Cathkin Peak near Champagne Castle. At one of these meetings, Akron gave her a silver ring that would make telepathic communication between them much easier. And finally, after all that kissing and flirting, they made love up there on the mountaintop, and she became pregnant with Akron's child. She stayed on Earth during the early stages of the pregnancy, but then in 1959 was taken back to Akron's home planet, named Meton. He was not, in fact, from Venus. It's just that he'd fallen in love with a girl from Venus. This planet, Meton, is around the star Proxima Centauri, which is the closest star to ours, 4.243 light years away, and yet it only took Akron's craft two months to travel one way using a special electrogravity propulsion, clearly some kind of faster-than-light travel. There on the alien planet of Meton, she gave birth to a boy who the couple named Ailing, and she hung out there for a while. They lived closer to nature on Meton, building no tall buildings and really just living in areas that are more like extremely large parks. They had plenty of resources for all, limitless energy, and they did not use money. But unfortunately, the planetary vibrations, her term, of the planet Meton caused her heart problems. She wasn't actually born there, so she had to return to Earth, though her son was okay and he stayed behind. She brought back the ring Akron had given her, a space crystal, and a fern from the planet. Now, she didn't write about these supposed experiences until her 1980 book, Beyond the Light Barrier, 
However, she must have talked about it with some people before then because George Adamski went to talk to her when he was on a lecture tour in South Africa talking about his experiences. It turned out that she knew who he was and was actually a huge fan. And they had a grand old time talking about our wonderful, peaceful space brothers, even though there are some discrepancies between their two accounts. Shortly after Adamski's visit, she felt emboldened and pretty much told anyone who would listen all about her alien lover and her son and the planet Meton. The press ate it up and so did the public, many of whom decided that she needed to be mocked. When she gave an address of the Johannesburg chapter of Mensa, she was loudly ridiculed at length, but others believed her story. A woman named Edith Nicolaisen wrote up part of her tale in a short booklet published in 1959 called In a Spaceship Over Drakensberg that went through another printing in 1967 it was so popular. UFO gal Cynthia Hind wrote about it for Fate magazine in 1968 and another ufologist named Kitty Smith would say in 1984 that she had seen Akron's ship with her own eyes. Clearly this Akron guy gets around. Funnily enough, another woman in South Africa named Anne Greveler, who wrote a short book under the pen name of Anchor called Transvaal Episode, A UFO Lands in Africa, also made claims of alien contact. But Elizabeth didn't like the competition and publicly challenged her, and the two of them essentially became enemies and rivals. Only one woman in South Africa can have contact with the aliens, or at least that's how the press framed it, liking as they do conflict. A man named Philip Human, that's his name, was a huge fan of Elizabeth's and the two of them became friends until he claimed that he too had been contacted by Akron in a psychic trance. She said, huh, that's crazy and no self-respecting space traveler would stoop to such low tactics such as that and so clearly Philip was lying. So Philip turned on her, saying all her claims were lies and the pictures she'd taken were clearly a car hubcap. But she was still much beloved by many in UFO circles. She gave a talk of the 11th International Congress of UFO Research Groups in Wiesbaden, Germany in 1975. Later that year, she gave another talk and got a standing ovation. Wherever she went to share her story, the crowds were often unmanageably large. This got even more pronounced after her 1980 autobiography came out, which she had worked on for over 20 years. There are even rumors that she spoke in the House of Lords and also to a UFO Congress at the UN, though no one has ever found any evidence that these talks actually took place. She was working on a second book called The Gravity File when she died of breast cancer in 1994, age 84. Just before she died, she told close friends that she'd regularly seen Akron and Ailing, since it's just a four-month round-trip journey for their spacecraft, and that her son was now a well-known astrophysicist and traveled all over the galaxy with his father, as well as his father's new girlfriend, a woman named Clea. And Akron and Clea had also had a son, and he was also part of the Merry Band. It makes sense that Akron would have found someone closer to home. As we all know, long-distance relationships are very difficult to maintain, and this is about as long-distance as it gets. Elizabeth's third husband, Aubrey Fielding, they married in 1963, the year she says that she returned to Earth, remained supportive to the end, saying that he was not at all jealous of Akron. Quote, that's all right with me, as long as he stays in space where he belongs. So, Elizabeth's alien encounter was not an alien abduction, but was kind of trippy and hippie with a functioning post-want socialist society and free love in space. There are certainly worse things. 
Truman Bethroom. A California truck driver named Truman Bethroom says he was contacted by aliens out in the Nevada desert and went for a ride in their spacecraft at least 11 times. They were from the planet Clarion, which he said is directly opposite Earth on the other side of the sun, traveling at the same speed as the Earth, and so therefore we can never see it. The captain of the flying saucer was a busty, dark-haired, female human type named Captain Aura Rains, who spoke totally good English, but always spoke in rhymes, and she wore a beret. He started promoting himself after this as a spiritual teacher, and no surprise, was met with much skepticism. So much so that in 1954, he wrote a book, Aboard a Flying Saucer, in which he mainly complains about people not believing him, as well as giving all sorts of information about the people of Clarion and the planet. I mean, it's an amazing place where the laws of Earth physics do not apply. They have no war, no hunger, no disease, no theft, and no divorce. They also have no alcohol and no tobacco. They look like us. They live over a thousand years old, and they are all Christians and attend church every Sunday. Also, everyone on the planet loves polka dancing and square dancing. It should come as no surprise that Truman soon set up a commune out near Prescott, Arizona, which he called the Sanctuary of Thought, with himself, naturally, as the charismatic leader. His wife left him, he says, because she was jealous of the special relationship he had with the lovely Captain Rains. He once hired a secretary simply because she kind of looked like Captain Rains, and on another occasion, he thought he saw Captain Rains sitting in a booth at a diner in California alone drinking a glass of orange juice, but when he approached her, she said she did not know him, and no, she was certainly not an alien spaceship captain. Go away, you creep. Needless to say, he was rather fixated on Captain Aura Rains. Bethram was very happy to talk to authors who were writing books, and he gave numerous talks for the public and the media, always for a pretty hefty fee. He made a bunch of predictions that never panned out, like that Earthlings would never manage to get off the planet until there was world peace, which didn't happen, and that Mars was a giant factory world, which is also clearly not true. But he still made a bundle of money before he died in 1969, and he even managed to find another woman to marry him. I would guess that she probably looked at least a little bit like Captain Rains. The, the Atherius Society. George King said alien intelligences, who he called the Cosmic Masters, contacted him in the mid-1950s. Their goal, he said, was to help humanity solve their problems and become part of the New Age. So he formed a cult cum religion around all of this. Based in Los Angeles and a small shop on Fulham Road in London, the Atherius Society owes a lot to Blavatsky's theosophy and mixes in some UFO stuff, some New Age stuff, Age of Aquarius stuff, and nature worship, as well as some more practical considerations like a focus on community service and altruism, the benefits of physical exercise, and yoga. George King was an Englishman who was raised in a sort of an esoteric Christian household. They were Christians and they went to church, but they also studied the occult. In his 40s, he got heavily into yogic practices, which he said developed his latent psychic powers to the point where the cosmic masters could telepathically contact him and share their wisdom. This all started in 1954, back when King was a taxi driver in London. One day, he heard a voice say in his head, Prepare, Prepare yourself. yourself. You are, you to, are become to become the voice, the voice of, the of the interplanetary, interplanetary parliament. parliament. A week later, he was astonished to find a swami 
had somehow got into his totally locked flat that Swami taught him more advanced psychic stuff. After that, once his powers were fully developed, he started getting regular telepathic messages from a being called Aetherius who lived on Venus, and soon more entities got in on the party line in King's Head. Key religious figures throughout human history, they told him, have actually been, surprise, surprise, aliens. Jesus came from Venus, so did the Buddha, and Krishna was from Saturn, for instance. Now, King was, of course, an extra special person and a living avatar and cosmic master in his own right. Though, to be fair, he never said those things, but his church certainly does. They also think that aliens have contacted some Earth governments, and this is being kept from the public by a group that UFO guy Donald Kehoe calls the Silence Group, a menacing, shadowy organization that wants to control humanity through fear and lies. King really liked mountains, or maybe the aliens did, and he'd been instructed to go around charging some of them, climbing up to their tops and then allowing cosmic energy to flow through him and into the mountain. The mountain would then act as a battery to help cleanse the earth of negative influences. Of the 19 holy mountains he was supposed to charge in the US, UK, Australia, New Zealand, France, and Switzerland, he got 17 of them done. One in England was charged by another church member named Master Jesus, and Mount Kilimanjaro was charged by St. Gu Ling of the church. But he got the other 17 done himself. The society, or church, says they have absolute proof that King was not a huckster and a con man, and his claims of telepathic alien contact with beings who live on planets in our solar system that almost certainly do not contain life are totally true, and they have absolute verifiable proof. For example, the aliens told him detailed information about the wind-scale nuclear power plant fire in England in 1956, and Aetherius himself, plus another alien named Mars Sector 6, told him about a nuclear power plant accident in the Soviet Union the following year. No word of such an incident was coming out of the famously tight-lipped Soviets, but 20 years later, Zhores Medvedev defected to the West and revealed that there had, in fact, been a nuclear power plant accident in the Urals in 1957, and the Soviets had kept it hush. King had also been forewarned about the Chernobyl accident in 1986 and the ozone hole that showed up in the late 80s, and there's plenty more, they say. King also had all sorts of interesting details about life on Venus and Mars and all of the other planets. None of these details, of course, have turned out to be correct. Very much like George Adamski. It's probable that both of them took tropes from science fiction of the day, that Venus was some kind of a jungle world, that Mars was a vast, possibly radioactive desert, and so on and so forth, and then they just kind of ran with them. It's also noteworthy, perhaps, that both of these men started their tales of impending doom and only aliens can save us not long after the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still came out in 1951, which was based on a 1940 short story by Harry Bates called Farewell to the Master. King said that his alien buddies told him that humans actually came here to Earth from another planet called Maldek that used to be between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter, but we blew it up with our irresponsible use of nuclear power, and today it's the asteroid belt. This is a claim that got repeated by many who pushed the notion of Maria Orsich and the Vril Society, which was talked about in a previous episode. And like those who chase the mystical electrical energy slash fluid called the Vril, the Aetherius Society has invented a device they call the radionic pendulum. 
that can detect hidden energies and also give you medical diagnoses and help develop your intuition. But only trained experts can interpret the device's swings back and forth. It's literally just a pendulum. Sort of a low-tech version of the e-meter that the Scientologists invented in the early 60s. Note that L. Ron Hubbard's quack religion slash tax dodge was invented just a few years before the Aetherius Society. The Pleiades. Edward Albert Maya was born in 1937 near Zurich in Switzerland. When he was five years old, he met an alien from the Pleiades named Svath that looked like an old human man. Svath hung around communicating all sorts of interesting things to Meyer until his death in 1953. After that, another alien, this one from someplace else, a female named Asket, contacted Meyer telepathically. Asket stopped sending messages 11 years later and then Meyer was kind of on his own. He bopped around for a while, and in 1965, he was in a bus accident in Turkey and lost one of his arms. Shortly after that, he met a Greek woman, Calliope Zafirio, who said that he reminded her of Billy the Kid because he liked to wear American cowboy clothes. So, Billy is what he insisted everybody start calling him. They got married and started popping out kids. They have three, all told. Then in January 1975, Svath's granddaughter, Samyasa, started communicating with Billy telepathically. And a bit after that, another alien from the Pleiades called Ptah did as well. This being may or may not have been Samyasa's father. And then more aliens joined in on the party call, and pretty soon Billy was hosting an intergalactic coffee clatch in his head. Yes, I know. This and a lot of these other telepathic contact stories sound an awful lot like schizophrenia. But not so, says Billy, who was so inspired by what he was learning that he created the Free Community of Interests for the Border and Spiritual Sciences and UFOlogical Studies, a nonprofit that is basically a UFO cult. He has tons of pictures the aliens have given him of UFOs, all of which it turns out upon examination to be either completely, totally faked, and sometimes they're just images cut out of magazines, glued onto other pictures, and then photographed. In 1997, his wife, after their divorce, revealed that he's used to spend an enormous amount of time mocking up UFOs using all kinds of things that were just lying around the house, trash can lids, carpet tacks, Christmas lights, anything that was round or disc-shaped. He also has several pictures of two alien females named Asket and Mera, which turned out, upon further examination, to be pictures of the performers Michelle Delafave and Susan Lund from when their troupe The Gold Diggers performed on The Dean Martin Show. Billy says his ex-wife is lying, and anybody who says that his pictures are fake, even though they are demonstrably fake, are all frauds, and they're afraid of the truth that his photographic evidence reveals. In 1995, the aliens told him that actually they're not from the Pleiades exactly, which is a star group about 444 light years from Earth, but they're actually from the Pleiaren star system, which is another 60 light years further out. Oh, and by the way, their star system, you can't see it because it's technically in another dimension. So, whenever Pleiadians are talked about by UFO people, it's just a mistaken word for these Pleiarans. They look like extremely attractive humans. They're super peaceful. They care very much about Earth and us Earthlings. Some say they can shift between the third and ninth dimensions, or maybe others say they only exist in the fifth dimension, but can telepathically reach out to the third dimension, and all of this is nonsense anyway. 
And in fact, they're not one race, but several races that includes the Nordic aliens, though among themselves, they make no real distinctions. They want to help us humans become purer so that we too can access higher dimensions. Oh, and like paranormal stuff and psychic stuff and all that, that's all basically true too. And so is reincarnation. Billy himself, he was told, is a reincarnation of Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, and Muhammad. Despite this mainly Jewish pedigree, he has uttered a series of dire prophecies about future disasters on earth that will be brought about by the Jews. He calls them gypsies, but it's clear when you read his writing that he says gypsies, but he means Jews. Which is too bad, because without the anti-Semitism, Meyer's little cult is a pretty harmless New Age kind of a thing. They have a villain, the Illuminati, unclear as to whether or not that's controlled by Jews or not, but the alien reptilians are certainly involved in the conflict, so how's that for bringing in a whole bunch of threads? The Illuminati are fighting the peaceful efforts of the Pleiarians to raise our vibration levels with meditation, Reiki, crystals, aromatherapy, and reflexology. Oh, and sex. Lots and lots of sex. The aliens just can't get enough sex. It totally raises your vibration levels. The Pleiarians sometimes come to Earth in their beam ships, as they call them, whenever they can avoid the Illuminati and try and do some good here. So, for example... Joe Manchik, who ran for Ohio's 12th Congressional District on the Green Party ticket during a special election in 2018, claimed on his Facebook page that his relatives came to Earth, quote, from a planet orbiting a star in the Pleiades star cluster located in the constellation of Taurus. When asked about this, he said that Facebook is not for serious things, and anyway, he thought it was certainly possible that humans had evolved somewhere far away and then either came here to Earth on their own or were transported here, and that's why he put that on his Facebook page's About section. He also thinks that Republicans and Democrats are basically one group now, quote, a one-party system, and that party is a corrupt, corporate-owned, Democratic-Republican, duopoly, oligarchy, mafia, and then he names this mafia Cabal. Manchik managed to get himself 1,129 votes, which is only 0.6% of the total number of ballots cast. He says he would have gotten more votes if the media had bothered to cover him properly, but they didn't. Anyway, Billy Meyer is still around. He's 84 years old at the time of this recording, and he's still writing and supposedly still communicating with his Pleiadian pals. Ptah has been especially forthcoming about recent events, including COVID-19, which is a real thing. This is no anti-vax stuff. Since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Billy's website has over 40 communications from the aliens, some of them quite lengthy, about COVID-19. In 2019, Billy also released a sort of a free jazz album with retro 60s and 70s overdones, as well as some Sid Barrett-era Pink Floyd influences called Sounds from Era. I have to tell you, a few of the songs aren't half bad, but a couple of them are just a hot mess, notably the 1 minute and 46 second piece titled Luminescent Squirrels. It's interesting that a lot of his followers and fans seem to be extremely active on Pinterest, where you can find a number of text-heavy images about decoding crop circles, time gates, the prophet Henoch's 13,000-year-long life using three different personalities, and much, much more. So Billy's little UFO cult slash church slash whatever is still a going concern. Star Seeds 
Writer Brad Steiger has written an awful lot of books, about 170 if you include ones he's co-author on. He's written some biographies of famous people like Judy Garland and stories of dogs finding their way back to lost families, and a number of new-agey kind of books like using magical ceremonies by First Nations people to live a fuller life more connected to nature and how crystals can change your life, books on the paranormal like ghosts and werewolves, books about Atlantis, which he's absolutely sure was a real place, books about ancient aliens, which he got really heavily into in the 1970s, and lots and lots and lots of books about UFOs, aliens, Project Blue Book, and the like. He's probably most famous, though, for his 1976 book, Gods of Aquarius, full of things he learned while he was hanging out, quote, in a time out of time with Sekhmet, the ancient lion-headed Egyptian goddess of healing, who's also a protector and warrior. He learned from her that a lot of things that we think of as separate things, like uh, myths of the Greek gods, psychic abilities, and UFOs, are really part of one comprehensive thing that's going on that humans are just now beginning to suspect. He also tosses out the idea of the star people. These are non-human aliens who come to Earth and inhabit human bodies, either because their soul gets into a groaning fetus before a human one does, or sometimes because an already born human soul leaves the body and the body is empty, and so then they end up inside the human body. However it happens, this is a traumatic experience for the aliens, who usually forget who they are, only slowly realizing their extraterrestrial origins and fits and starts over time. It's like their real personalities are a seed that need to grow inside of human soil, which is maybe why these beings are also sometimes called star seeds. As their memories start to come back, they also recall their original mission, why they came here to Earth in the first place, which is usually something to do with helping humans realize their potential and prepare for joining the great galactic civilization. Steger claims there are many star people on Earth, one of whom might have been the science fiction writer Philip K. Dick. In the same year as that book, Gods of Aquarius, 1976, legitimate journalist turned New Age wingnut Ruth Montgomery wrote a book called Strangers Among Us, all about how non-human beings can enter a human body once the human soul has departed the biological shell. Exactly the same thing. She calls them walk-ins and says they've been coming here for centuries. Several U.S. presidents, in fact, have been walk-ins. She really went down the New Age path after she was doing legitimate research on Edgar Cayce and past lives, and then she went through her own under-hypnosis past life regression, finding out that she has been on Earth for thousands of years and was physically present at the circumcision of Jesus as a baby. And then after that, she just kind of went down that road and never looked back. Shortly after Steger started talking about starseeds, people started claiming that they were recovering memories and that they too were one of these starseed star persons, usually saying that they either came from the Pleiades or from the star Sirius. A real journalist for the Washington Post, Joel Achenbach, interviewed several of them. He noted that while traditional ufologists, quote, look outward towards the universe for answers to the alien enigma, New Agers look inward. Well, there's a whole industry now set up to help these starseeds, quote, recover their true memories and plenty of people who claim that they are in fact aliens inhabiting a human body reincarnated many, many times and helping guide human history towards a more enlightened phase of existence. One such person is Stan Romanek, who Rational Wiki calls the seediest starseed. Stan is a very important person. Just ask him. 
He often hangs out with other aliens and even has an alien family separate from his human one that's made up of aliens and human-alien hybrid children. Upon learning about this, his human wife, Lisa, was somewhat alarmed, but she tried to go along with the flow, and then Stan met his alien wife at a convention, a woman who sure looks like a much younger human female, and with whom Stan started spending a lot of time. After some difficulties in the marriage, Stan wore her down, and now the space wife is part of their family as well. Stan purports to be something of a spiritual guide here on Earth, and he's produced a couple of videos of aliens. One of an alien playing sort of peekaboo through the window of Stan's house. This footage has become known as the Boo video and is comically amateurish. And another one of an alien slyly peering around the frame of a sliding door. He also has lots of pictures and audio recordings. All of this evidence is so obviously faked that other UFO people hold him in disdain, saying that he makes them look foolish. And yet, he continues to produce huge amounts of his proof, including pictures of his space daughters. And yet, just the sheer amount of stuff that he has is enough to make some people think, look, he must be telling the truth. And when I say some people, I mean thousands of people. Because here's the thing, if it's all fake, they reason, then this guy is spending pretty much all of his free time making really bad video and audio recordings and pictures. That just seems so preposterous that it seems more likely that he's actually telling the truth. In 2013, a guy named John Sumple made a documentary about Stan called Extraordinary, the Stan Romanek story. Sumple then followed that up in 2019 with Extraordinary, the seeding which delves into the whole alien-human hybrid program and what it might mean for the future of the human race. However, it's not all harmless fun. In 2014, Stan Romanek was arrested and found guilty of possession of over 20 images of child pornography on his computer. He and his followers, of course, initially claimed it was all a setup to discredit him, but in court, Stan simply said he had no idea how those pictures could possibly have gotten on his computer. He was found guilty in 2017 and sentenced to two years in a halfway house part-time, as well as being entered on the sex offender's role, being banned from using all computers and electronic devices without supervision. Oh, and when he gets out of that halfway house, he's on 10 years probation. Indigo, Indigo children. children. Somewhat similar to the whole starseed, star people idea is that of the Indigo children. Nancy Ann Tapp is a parapsychologist who claims to have synesthesia. This is when sensory pathways get mixed up, and so people, for example, might see tastes or hear colors. It actually manifests itself in a number of different ways. She thought she had this because she has special DNA that allows her to access parts of her brain that most people cannot access. This is, of course, total pseudoscience, but she still made a successful career out of it writing a book called Understanding Your Life Through Color and founding a, quote, discipline she calls colorology, in which she uses the science of color to study human personality traits. Actually, what she does is she says she can see people's auras and the color of their aura determines something about their personality. In the mid-1970s, Tapp started thinking that some children who were being diagnosed with various problems maybe didn't have anything wrong with them at all. She noted that when she looked at them, their auras were a deep indigo color and that this meant that they were actually very special. 
In the 1990s, she hooked up with a guy named Lee Carroll, who claims to channel a loving spiritual entity named Chiron, and his wife, Jan Tober, who's basically helped Carroll turn his Chiron shtick into a thriving business, and who says that she is one of these alien walk-ins. Also, she is a channeler as well, channeling an entity named St. Germain. Together, the three of them develop the idea of indigo children who exhibit, they say, extraordinary abilities like being able to read other people's emotional states, telepathy, and basically they're just more advanced beings than us normal human beings with non-indigo auras. These children are often misunderstood and misdiagnosed with a number of mistaken problems like developmental issues, ADD, ADHD, narcissism, and autism. Carolyn Tober wrote a book in 1988 called The Indigo Children, The New Kids Have Arrived, and this has spawned an industry and many more books and movies and summer camps and expensive counseling sessions for parents of indigo children and international conventions and swag and so on and so on. Indigo children, says the lore, are often highly intelligent, very intuitive and empathetic, feel like they have a clear purpose in life, and are usually perceived as odd or strange by others. They're also very confident and they loathe being controlled. Of course, many parents might prefer the idea that their child is not mentally ill or has a legitimate problem like ADHD, or that their narcissistic parenting style has created a brat, but instead this child is in fact a superior being who is here to help humanity reach its fullest potential, and the child should be left alone to do what they need to do. And let's face it, folks, not everyone is a good parent. And if your crap parenting is creating a little monster, the whole concept of indigo children kind of lets you off the hook, doesn't it? And of course, if this was all nonsense, if Carol and Tober and Tap were just taking advantage of parents who already have enough problems to deal with, bilking them out of money and preventing the children from getting the actual professional help they need, then that would be pretty crappy, wouldn't it? And the indigo children mythology evolves. Children often diagnosed with autism, it turns out, are a subset of the indigos known as crystal children who have, quote, crystal-colored auras, whatever the heck that means. I mean, there have always been crystal children around. Jesus was one of them. But a whole bunch of them started being born right around the turn of the 21st century. Some people think that they may be the children of indigos. They have strong telepathic abilities, and that's why they don't talk very much. That's why doctors who don't understand the mystical energetic side of the world think that they're autistic. And encouraged by the very lucrative success of all of this, Tap doubled down shortly before her death in 2012 by saying that one type of indigo child, who she calls the interdimensional child, will be perceived by normal people as a bully, but in fact, it is these children who will grow up and found a new religion that blends science and mysticism and saves the world. Oh, and there are also rainbow children who are maybe so advanced that they have all the colors in the aura. Or maybe it's just another term for the crystal children. It seems to be muddy. The important thing to realize is that big changes are coming and there's nothing wrong with your kid. In fact, quite the opposite. There's something wrong with all of us, and the kids are all right. New agey adherents to the indigo ideas often are also anti-vaxxers and super suspicious of big pharma. After all, their kid was diagnosed with ADD by doctors, or they were told that their combination of indulgence and apathy towards their children was creating a maladjusted person. But actually, the kid's just a super advanced entity. 
Super anti-vaxxer Jenny McCarthy ran a website called Indigo Moms for people who were trying to nurture these special little beings along. She herself thought she was an indigo and that her son was a crystal, but then vaccines damaged him. All of this really started to spin out of control, and Carol and Tober started trying to disassociate themselves from the whole indigo thing, even recanting their belief in auras. Or so they say. Their publisher, Hay House, certainly still maintains a website called the Indigo Children website to push their books on the subjects, and their names are still all over the place in the growing indigo online marketplace, such as a website that has a 24-point quiz to determine if your child is not just a jerk, but is actually an indigo. Spoiler, your kid isn't. While most of this stuff seems pretty harmless on the surface, peace and love, nature is good, war and nukes are bad, aliens are real but here to help, the proponents of these ideas sure don't seem to have any problem making quite a bit of money on the ideas that they push. And people who follow them are special because they're in the know. But of course, the leaders are more special. And all of that's true for all of the people we've really talked about here, except for maybe the indigo children thing. That has some real-world consequences. Kids with legitimate issues, be they physical or just emotional, psychological or sociological, are not receiving the treatment that they could actually benefit from because their parents are told that actually the children are super advanced beings and need no help and guidance or medication. The thing is this, if you're an adult and you join one of these many, many UFO cults or religions out there, well, okay, maybe you're onto something true, maybe you're deluded, but you chose to participate in it and spend your money there. But children whose parents and outsiders who are making a buck off those parents being told that they're indigo children don't have a choice in the matter. And that kind of sucks for them. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.